This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. During the summer when I was in college, I had the opportunity to work in a factory in my hometown, Chillicothe, Ohio. It was a Kenworth semi-truck factory. And so I spent that summer building the cabs of, of semi-trucks uh, just off the line, working hard, uh, keeping up to pace as those things came through. And the reason I had that position that summer was because my dad also worked at the factory. And, and in the summers, they would hire the college students of their employees to fill in the vacations of those employees who were, who were going to be gone for a portion of the summer. My grandfather also happened to have worked at the same factory. And so as I was figuring out my job and, and getting to know some people, I realized that most of the people I encountered already had an idea about who I was. They knew my dad. They knew my grandfather. And as I would introduce myself, they'd say, oh, you're Johnny's boy, aren't you? They, they knew. They saw the family resemblance. They recognized who I was. And it's a, kind of an intimidating thing for people to already know you when you enter into an environment, know that they're watching you and evaluating who you are. I also found that I could learn a little bit about my dad and my grandfather as I got to know these people who knew them in a different context than I did at home people who had worked alongside them, and I could hear stories about them and about their nicknames. And they, uh, one, one fellow said, oh, yeah, I've worked, I've worked with, with uh, Tall Pockets for a long time. I said, Tall Pockets? Who's that? He's like, well, it's your grandpa. Call him Tall Pockets. I'm like, well, why is that? He said, well, he's got such long legs. Most of us, when we reach for a wallet, we reach back to our back pocket. Your grandpa, he reaches like this to get to his pocket. He's one of those guys that probably his inseam was a bigger number than his waistband. He's like 30, 36, just long-legged guy, super tall. I always looked up to, to my, my grandfather. I thought it was just a, a, funny, a funny nickname. But what I, what I learned about my dad and my grandpa is I heard stories. I heard these, these uh, people in the factory who were, you know, just shooting straight with me. They don't have any, they're just saying how it is. They're straight shooters. And, and what I recognized was that there was a respect that people had. They appreciated their work ethic. They saw in them this humor and integrity and character. And they were looking at me, measuring me, to see if I was going to live up to that reputation of my family, watching the way that I worked as a teenager, to see if I had the same quality and character about me, to see if I was worthy of that reputation, if I was going to contribute to that positive reputation or, or detract from it. That's, a, that's a, a pretty high standard to have placed on a life. But for each of us, we're called to live according to a standard. We're called to live according to a reputation. And no matter where we go, we're known by many people because they know our family, because they have heard about us, or maybe because they recognize that we're a Christian. And with our behavior, with our actions, with our words, there's an expectation to see how our lives will measure up to the reputation of the Lord, to see where we stand. It's It's an important part of who we are, to think about the image that we bear in the world around us. We're gonna continue today talking about unity 
a unity that we have together as a body of believers in the church. We're going to read the words of Paul that he wrote to the church in Ephesus. We're going to begin in chapter 4, verse 1. If you have a Bible and you want to open up with me, you can turn there and read along. The words will be on the screen behind me. If you want to use the YouVersion app, you can use a phone or tablet, open up the app, search under events for Parkview Finley, and find scripture and sermon notes in the YouVersion app as well. We're going to read, as Paul spoke to the believers in Ephesus about their unity, about their, the expectations for them individually and the expectations that were present for them as, as a church to represent the image of Christ and to grow in him in alignment, in maturity, and in unity. Let's begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 4. Here's what Paul says. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, here's this first instruction from Paul. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I, I urge you to measure up to this standard, a standard fair or unfair, that, it, that is imposed on your life as a believer in the Lord, that you would live a life that's worthy of the calling that you've received through the Spirit to belong to the Lord. So how do we, how do we begin that process of, of living our lives in a, in a manner that's worthy, to, that measures up with the image of Christ? Well, there's a few, a few steps that I think we need to put into place. The first would be that as we think about what it is to be worthy, we would actively choose to remove those things from our lives that are unworthy. We would recognize the, the words that we say that, that aren't in line with the image of Christ, the language that we might use as unworthy, the, the comments that we might make to other people, tearing them down, the jokes that we might tell that we recognize are unworthy of that calling. And, and choose to, to rid our lives of them, to surrender those things to the Lord. And we would look at our behavior, our, our habits, our conduct, our temptations. We, we would recognize those things that are unworthy, the calling we have in Christ, and, and be willing to, to set them aside because we know that they aren't reflective of the life that we're called to live. And as we're removing those things that would make us unworthy, that we would also choose to strive for the image of Christ. To, to replace those things with, with, with what is worthy of the image of Christ, that we would choose to be uplifting, that we would choose to speak encouragement to other people, that we would express kindness to them, that we would choose a, a, a pattern of behavior that, that cares for people and demonstrates the love of God in the way that we interact with them, that we would strive to prove ourselves worthy of that calling. The last thing I think that we should do as we removing the unworthy and adding more worthy things is that we should we should think about our perspective and follow the example of Paul in not focusing on our circumstances but remembering the calling that God has placed in our lives you think about where Paul was when he wrote these words to the believers in Ephesus he, he's in prison under house arrest he is restricted severely. He's not able to go where he wants to go. He's not able to see the people that he wants to see. He's confined within the walls where he dwells with a guard standing over him. He's in chains. And instead of focusing on those circumstances and getting bitter and angry and becoming a pain to those around him and sinking into an apathetic, lethargic state because of 
the terrible circumstances he's in. He, he's taking this opportunity, this time that he has, and he's writing letters of encouragement to believers in some of the churches that he planted. He's writing letters to young leaders like Timothy, encouraging them to step forward and to guiding them in the way that they lead the church. He's, he is recognizing the significance of his calling and not letting the circumstances become an excuse to live a life that's unworthy. And if you think about the way that we live our lives, how easy it is to let our circumstances overshadow us, to think about who we are and where we live and the job that we have, the income that we have, the health concerns that we're facing, the relational issues that we have. And to be so overwhelmed with those circumstances, we begin to make excuses about our behavior. We begin to make excuses about our attitude. We begin to, to allow our circumstances to determine our attitude. Paul calls us to say, tells us to think about the calling that we have in the Lord, to focus on who Christ is calling us to be. And, and instead of letting those circumstances be an excuse, that we would strive to be worthy of the calling that we have. And here's the way that he says we should begin to do that, the attitude that we should take on because we're focused on that calling. In verse 2, he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, these are, these are character traits that are, that are incredibly difficult for us to take hold of, but they're important if we hope to live in unity with one another. The first thing we need to focus on is humility. Humility goes against our culture. It, it is a, a trait that causes us to stand out from among the crowd as we, instead of demonstrating how capable and, and presenting this false bravado, this, this sense of confidence that people might believe that we're better than we are. Humility calls us to, to root our lives in reality, to accept our, our strengths and our weaknesses, and, and to simply, sincerely state, talking with other people, what we can do, what we can't do, what we know we've done in our experience, what we've not yet done, and be willing, instead of saying, no, 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 I've got this, you watch me succeed, we would say, you know, I've never tried this before. Why don't we work together and see what we can do? I think we can do it if we put our heads together. It's a, it's a different kind of perspective that invites people to share in the experience instead of pushing them away and pushing ourselves up above. We need to willing, be willing to be humble in the way that we interact with other people. Paul says we need to be completely humble and gentle. Now, the word for gentle in the New Testament uh, has been translated also as the word meek. Now, that's not a word we use in our world today very often. And even when it was used in biblical times, meekness had a negative connotation to it. People would, would assume that meekness meant that someone was a doormat, that they couldn't stand up for themselves, couldn't express what they wanted, and because they were so unassertive, they would be taken advantage of as other people dominated them. But that's not what meekness means at all. When we choose gentleness and meekness, we acknowledge the strength that God provides to us, and we choose to submit to his control, to restrain that strength as we surrender to him. It's the image we have of, a, of a, a powerful racehorse that allows its rider to guide it by the reins, steering it to victory. When we acknowledge the strength that God has provided to us and allow him to lead us and guide us, we give him the reins of our lives and we 
use restraint personally as we submit to his direction and guidance in our lives. This gentleness is what calls us, instead of speaking so forcefully into the lives of other people, that we would speak gently to them, encouraging, caring for them in the way that we talk. Not only do we think about being completely humble and gentle, Paul calls us also to be patient. Patience is a difficult thing for us to take hold of in our world today because so many aspects of our lives are instantaneous. We have instant food. We have instant entertainment. And we've gotten to the place where we expect things to happen right here, right now, exactly the way we want to. Have you ever pulled up to an intersection? As the light turns red and been so bothered because you had to wait a few seconds before you could continue. Have you ever hit play on your streaming service and seen the buffering circle and been infuriated because you hit play but nothing happened. You had to wait for the video to load. It's supposed to happen right now. I hit play. What's happening? I had a friend in high school. We nicknamed him Captain Impatient. He talked fast. He did everything fast. He wanted everything to happen right now. We were at a conference together as teenagers and we went to a fast food restaurant. Huge line. The staff was overwhelmed. And he was in front of me in line. He ordered his food. The cashier took his order. He moved over to the line to wait for his food to come out. And I stepped up to order. And the, this poor cashier was just trying to get everything done, trying to get, get drinks and condiments, and just overwhelmed. And as she started to take my order, I could hear him muttering under his breath. He saw the cook behind the window finish a plate of food and set it up. And he recognized it as his order. And so as I started to order, I heard him say, there's my food, it's right there. Turn around and get my food and hand it to me. It's, get, it's hot, it's getting cold, why don't you get my, just, just turn around and get my food. I could hear him saying all these things, just overwhelmed with impatience. Patience is a word that is also translated as long suffering, being willing to endure difficulty over time. And patience is important for us as we think about unity because it calls us to Set our frustrations aside. Give people room to do things in their way, not our way. Do things according to their timeline and not according to our timeline. It smooths some of the rough edges in our lives as we settle our frustrations for just a moment and allow the, the Lord to bring about patience in our lives. We've joked many times about the fact that you should never pray for patience because of the way the Lord brings about certain qualities in your life, that when you pray for God to help you become more patient, he will provide opportunities to exercise your patience. Thank you, Lord, for those wonderful opportunities. But it makes us think very carefully about not only the way that we pray, but about the things that we want to grow in, of how we want our, our spiritual lives to develop. As we evaluate the the time and the energy and the frustration required for us to grow in the Lord. Paul says not only do we have to be humble and patient and gentle, but we need to bear with one another in love. Have you ever been around someone who's unbearable? Notice how Paul says we should bear with almost everyone unless they're unbearable. No, no, no. We should bear with one another. Every one of us expressing love toward one another so that we can bear with one another in love. Bearing with one another calls us to be a forgiving kind of people. 
to overlook things that we might take offense at, to laugh off things that we might have seen as insulting, to think with consideration about where other people are coming from before we jump to any conclusions and make assumptions about why they're being so unbearable. Bearing with one another in love calls us to remember who we are, to be able to admit that there are times when I am unbearable, I know it's hard to believe. There are times when I'm hard to be around, when I create difficulty in the lives of people around me. And I know that I have to be willing to bear with others because they've been willing to bear with me. It's important for us not to be so cynical that when we encounter other people, we we think the worst of them. We assume that they're going to be selfish and critical and rude. And so when we interact with them, we have a conversation with them, we're not surprised at all at how offensive they are. We ought to approach our relationships with other people, our conversations with other people, thinking the best of them, giving them opportunity to build our relationship, of recognizing that that maybe they didn't intend to be as hurtful as they were. Maybe they didn't understand how harmful those words were and, and extend forgiveness into their lives. We need to learn to bear with one another in love as we work together to maintain the unity that the Spirit provides to us, to maintain the unity that that the Lord calls us to as a body of believers, that we would be drawn together on the common ground that we have in him, drawn together on the common ground of the truth of his word, that we would work together. In verse 3, Paul says that we should make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's important for us to recognize that unity is made possible by the power of the Spirit at work among us. But it's maintained when we recognize that we also have a role to play. That we have to invest our effort and our energy and our patience and our gentleness and our humility to bear with one another in love, to maintain this bond of peace. We just take every opportunity. We have to invest in every moment to embrace those things that support unity and to set aside those things that would hinder unity. We know that being connected with other people is a difficult process. Sometimes those rough edges come into contact with each other. And we focus on keeping the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Notice that, that peace isn't just the absence of conflict. Peace is also the resolution of conflict. And if we're to experience peace together, we can't just sit in the same room and not interact with one another and not speak to one another because, well, if we're going to be united, we can't have any conflict at all. So why would we start a conversation that might, re- might bring up some things that we conflict about? We'll just sit quietly and not interact with one another at all. No, that's not real peace. Peace comes from us being willing to have conversations Peace comes from us being able to resolve our differences, being able to talk together about our perspectives and our opinions, being able to share and come to an agreement and bring about resolution to conflict that comes up and work toward the peace that's provided by the Spirit, maintaining that among ourselves so that we can represent the true image of Christ in the world around us as a united body in Him. We do so when we recognize how he has brought us together on common ground. 
Paul continues to describe this process as he talks in, in verse 4 about the way we're united by the power of the Spirit. So there's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We have been called to unity as we submit to the Lord. One Lord. As we are united in him. As we belong to one body of Christ. As we think about the hope we have for eternity. One hope that we share. As we walk through the same process of coming into relationship with Christ. And we share that process. One baptism. We surrender to one God. Who's over all and through all and in all. And we recognize how God brings us together on this common ground. How we share that experience of belonging to him. And then we wonder, why is it that there's so much conflict in the church? Why is it that there, it's so difficult for, for believers to work together, to agree about things, to worship the Lord spirit and truth why is it so hard for us to be the united body of christ well sometimes we get so focused on our relationship with god we forget about our relationships with one another sometimes we get so focused on the options that we have that we forget that we are brought together as one and when things get difficult when there's conflict between us and others when decisions have to be made that we don't agree with, when our preferences are ignored, we think about all the options we have. We think about another church down the road that has a different style of worship. We think about another church across town that has a preacher that hasn't offended me. We think about the church across town who's making different kinds of decisions, who's teaching a different take on passage of Scripture. And when we focus on all those differences, we begin to think about all the possibilities that we have. Instead of working together to build unity, instead of working together to resolve conflict, sometimes we think about all the options we have and our first temptation is to just walk away. Well, why would I, why would I labor over this difficult concept of unity when I can just flee from that conflict and begin new relationships in a different place with a different church and a different preacher? Why would I work why would I fight? Why would I, why would I go through that process? Well, the problem we face is that when we flee from conflict, we don't leave behind those hurts. We don't leave behind that pain. We don't leave behind our problems. We carry them with us as baggage. And when we try to interact in a new place and create new relationships, those old pains create difficulty for us. And they still have to be addressed. They still have to be resolved. Paul is calling us to recognize the value of belonging to one body together. That we would choose to maintain the, the, the unity that's provided by the Spirit. That we would protect that unity. That we would fight for that unity. That we would work hard to overcome the conflict that comes up from time to time so that we can be. This image of what the love and grace and peace of Christ looks like in the relationships of his church. Instead of being this place of, of strife and anger and argument that the world looks at and doesn't see the image of Christ, that we would work hard to be worthy of the calling we've received. And we would be reminded of the gift 
that has been given to each of us. Verse 7, Paul says, Each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Notice how timely this reminder is for the believers as he's pointing them to unity, to be reminded that each and every one of them has received from God grace, something that they absolutely didn't deserve. Grace that forgives the wrong that they've done. Grace that overcomes the the overwhelming weight of their sin. And every one of us has received that grace from the Lord. Every one of us has been offered that gift of grace through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we're grateful for that. We're, We're glad to have received it. But what we're called to do is to live in that grace. To extend that grace. When we think about our relationships with other people, to give grace to others. Why? Because Christ sees them as worthy of his grace. And even when we have conflict with other people, we need to be able to see them the way God sees them. As worthy of grace. Instead of allowing conflict to remain, of extending grace in our relationships. And being willing to work through those difficulties. Being willing to forgive wrong being willing to move past the things that have hurt us as we grow together in unity, that we would address those things and talk about those things and allow the Spirit to bring us back together to resolve conflict and bring about a bond of peace for his church together as we grow in our understanding of who he is, as we grow together to represent him and the world around us. Paul continues with a description of Christ as he gave grace as he apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. He provided those who would equip the church so that they would equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. My family is all tall. My grandfather, high pockets. My dad, tall. My mom, tall. My uncle, 6'3". My nephew, I think he's 6'5 now, he's just tall people. When I was a kid, my grandpa called me Shorty. I'm the youngest in my family. I have two older sisters. They grew quickly. For a long time, there was this gap in our heights, a gap that I wanted so desperately to close, but it took me a long time to catch up. But when I did, I surpassed my sisters. I'm proud of that. When I was a kid, we had this, this doorway in our house, and the casing on the doorway, it was white, and my mom, I think it was my mom, marked on that door. Do you have a, a doorway like that, a wall in your house where there's a height chart, a date, age, and height? And here's me, here's my sister, my other sister, mom, dad, and she was kind enough to include my grandpa and my uncle that I will never be as tall as, but they're still there on the door. 
And I remember as a kid looking at that wall thinking, oh, I just want to grow. I just want to reach that height. You got kids in your house that are so excited to pass you in height? Our sons have just been like, yes, taller than you. They get so excited about that. And we long to grow. We long to reach this stature. You see where I'm going? We think about the way the Lord builds us together, the way that we grow in him. And we long for that unity to happen among us. We long for that growth to take place. We long to become. The whole measure, the fullness of Christ. And we think forward about what that looks like. What kind of image we might reflect in the world. And we have to recognize that that there is a process that takes place in order for us to get there. That all of those hopes we have about the future, we have to make decisions here and now to put us on that path, to help us to grow, to help us to become this, this genuine reflection of the fullness of Christ. And part of that process is, is, is learning, is, is working together, is uniting. And, and Christ not only gave us grace to help us in our relationship with him to bring us together. He also provided those who would teach us and guide us and lead us. All of those apostles and prophets and preachers and teachers. Why? To equip us. To equip us to serve. That we would grow together as we contribute our effort together. To equip us to, to grow in unity, in knowledge, and in maturity. And as we submit to teaching of the word of God, as we submit to the work of God in our lives, as we make decisions that that set our feet on that path toward growth, this is what takes place, that we grow together, that we grow in our knowledge and understanding of the word of God, that we grow in unity, and that we grow in in maturity. What I found out about maturity, took me a while, is that, that maturity isn't something that's accomplished by collecting a lot of years. You know what I'm saying? You don't become mature just by getting older. You could be an elderly person who is terribly immature. You could also be a 20, 30-year-old with a depth about you that surpasses your years. Maturity doesn't equate with age. Maturity is developed in us as God works through the difficulties we face in life. Maturity requires us to be committed, dedicated, sacrificial people who who choose faithfulness instead of pursuing our own desires. And we develop maturity as God works in us and through us in the difficult moments of life. Through those experiences, he builds maturity into us. And we can't expect that just because we've been attending the same place for a number of years that we're going to grow in spiritual maturity. We can't expect that the people around us who have been attending for the same number of years will be on the same level of spiritual maturity that we are. In order for us to grow in unity and knowledge and maturity, we have to invest in the experience. 
of studying the word of God together. We have to invest in the experience of a personal devotional life in him. We have to invest in the experience of serving alongside one another, that through the difficulty and the hardship and the exertion of our time and energy and talent, we would grow in him from those experiences that we share together to become mature, attaining the full measure of the fullness of Christ. And Paul says, this is what will happen. Then we'll no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Has there ever been a more accurate description of the world we live in today? So many voices proclaiming a message, hoping to sway and influence people and create a following. Instead, Paul says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That's Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And now Paul is combining these metaphors. Remember how we talked in his letter to the Philippians about the body of Christ. One body, many parts. Each one of us given a task, given a talent, given an ability to contribute to that body. Each one of us holding the other up, encouraging the other, supporting the other. And here's what he says. Instead of being swayed by influential people, instead of listening to charismatic voices and energetically, excitedly standing behind them and being a part of their platform, that we would step back and evaluate the message according to Scripture. We would step back and consider whether or not we're being led by our emotions or whether we're being led by our intellect and to make a conscious decision about the message we hear, weighing it against the word of God and choosing only to support those things that are in line with the truth of his word. That we would stand for truth, that we would always speak truth, but we would do so in a loving way. Paul says, as we grow to maturity, we would speak the truth in love. We would grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Maturity brings us into alignment with him. As we grow to be proportionate. Can you imagine the, the, the head of Christ, the beard and long hair on the, on the body of a toddler? It would look ridiculous. When we ignore the word of God, when we ignore the relationships we have with other believers, when we strive to push ourselves forward and get what we want, and instead of developing a maturity together, instead of growing together in unity and love, we very immaturely demand to get our way. We, we become the immature body of Christ. He is the head of the church. He will always be the head of the church. And when we're faithful to him as the head, we grow in proportion to that maturity. We allow ourselves to be developed into the mature body of Christ, that we would dedicate ourselves to truth and love, that we would care enough about people to confront their misconceptions with the truth of the word of God. We would love people enough to step into their lives and say, hey, I've heard the kinds of things you're saying. I've seen the kinds of things you're doing, and I want to point you to the truth of God's word to see how you can grow, to see how maybe you can eliminate some of the consequences that you're experiencing in your life, 
by choosing a, a more faithful approach to the, the kind of living that you're doing. That we would be faithful. That we would live lives that are worthy of the calling that Christ has placed in us to grow into that future hope that we have. Would you pray with me? God, we're so grateful to you for the example that you provide. God, we're so grateful to you for being the mature, complete fullness as the head of the church. God, I pray that you would help us to recognize our responsibility to live up to that image, to, to live in alignment with that image. God, that you, that you would help us to set aside those things that are unworthy. That you would help us to strive for those things that help us become worthy. God, we thank you in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.